blessed him. So consider yourself really blessed. I think, it's, I, think they, I think they did a good job I, there. I can actually feel the emphasis on blessing. It was hitting me right here. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good morning. Oh, that was enthusiastic, wasn't it? <laughs> good morning. Good, good. Everybody alive? If you're dead, raise a hand. We'll pray for you during the ministry time first. <laughs> Right, it's, it's great to be back with you. I think this is the third, maybe fourth time I've had the privilege of being with you. And as uh, Mike said, for gosh, this is our 41st year of international ministry, going to all different types of churches around the globe. But uh, uh, I love being with you all. It reminds me a lot of my home church and a lot of the churches I'm closest to for two reasons. One, your worship. You know, Isaiah, he posed the prophetic question, where will the Lord find a resting place? And to be honest with you, a lot of churches are not really resting places for the Lord. They're workplaces. We pray, come Lord, save, heal, deliver, bless the message, bless the programs, bless the offering. But there's something beyond all of that, and that's saying, Lord, would you please be the resident of honor this morning or this meeting simply because we desire your presence not for the gifts of that you give but the gift of who you are and i've been so impressed every time i've been here with your heart for worship the other thing about your church that reminds me so much of my home church is how long your announcements are <laughs> we've got i think last count we had like 80 different ministries in my home church. We're kind of a a big old group, and it takes forever. We almost need an intercession break. You almost need to go get a coffee, you know, after the announcements just to wake up there. But uh, thank you, uh, Mike and Bruce, for bringing me again. And uh, I'm just going to ask my second daughter who's here. Taylor, would you just stand up? And she's here with us. She's quite prophetic. If you want a good word, come up after after service and slip her $10. No. (laughs) I want to speak to you today. I want to really speak into the DNA of this church, but also what I believe prophetically you're going to be emerging into a lot as this year goes on in 2023. And uh, although uh, today... um, uh, just a small amount of my time in traveling goes to vineyard churches. Uh, historically, I've been very involved in the vineyard movement uh, globally, from South Africa to Europe, across uh, the United States. And one thing that, uh, when I was a young Christian and began to get exposed to the uh, revelatory gifts of the Spirit and the power gifts, uh, healing and miracles back in the late 70s, early 80s, Uh, that I appreciated that John Wimber, head of the Vineyard uh, Movement at that time, was pioneering so much in that area. But one thing I really appreciated that was beyond that was in the Vineyard Movement, there was a uniqueness of what I would call a Holy Spirit entrepreneurship. There was a creativity for doing things that churches has always done before, but doing them in very different ways. And that's not just about doing church, but it has to do with the makeup of the members of the church. And I believe, and as this year goes on in 2023, many of you, God's going to call you to pioneer new, uh, doing new things you haven't done before and to do things maybe new ways that you've never done before. And it's, it's a unique calling upon you to be pioneers. 
For those of you that are in the school this weekend, Friday night and Saturday, I spoke this message yesterday, and I intend to speak something different. But if you say, oh gosh, we've got to hear the message twice, you can just take out your frustration in the Holy Spirit. So, when in doubt, blame heaven. But uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 22 reads, Praise the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you have the gift of discernment in your life. (laughs) He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with them. God is the God of times and seasons. We tend to be a people of institution. We like to make a formula that works or a pattern of things that work, and we like to camp out there endlessly. Uh, I haven't listened a lot to contemporary music for a long time now. For many, many years, it just all sounds the same to me. But I'm old enough to say that I was really (coughs) caught up in the alternative music scene of the 80s and early 90s. And there was a particular song written by the group out of Scotland and Ireland, the Water Boys, that had a song that had a line in it that just made a very profound impact on me. And the line in that song was, "The choice in life is to change or to be changed." And there is so much truth in that that we think, "Oh, things are always going to be the same. I'm always going to continue in the same mode and all of that." But if we look simply at biblical promises, we're called to go from glory to glory, and we're transformed by that. We're called to go from strength to strength. We're continually called on a lifelong journey of transformation in becoming a greater and greater reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we begin to make monuments of what we've done, how we've done it, and where we've been, it's the beginning of a slow death. I'm not talking about spiritual death. But nothing in life stays the same. A pond or a pool of water, either it's got fresh water coming in and flowing out, or it begins to evaporate over time. And we are called, being created the image of God, that everything is continually increasing. The universe itself that God created is always increasing. But we are called to be a people who go from strength to strength, breakthrough to breakthrough, and glory to glory. So I want to speak about pioneering, doing things you've never done before or maybe doing things in a way you've never done them. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no, mind, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so the moment we think, we've got it, we understand, we're down with this, we know what's going to happen now, yesterday, and for the future, we've begun to lose it because God has more for you than you can possibly understand. Pioneering means breaking through into uncharted territory. That uncharted territory could be a new skill set with job or uh, or art or relationships, whatever it is. It could be a whole new career. It could be something new in ministry. But pioneering means breaking through into uncharted territory and then making it habitable for others to follow. It's just not a matter of us going out and having new successes but we're called to bear fruit. In fact, Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Some 
examples, both biblically and in contemporary history, we can think about Abraham, who with his family left the land of Ur and pioneered by the Spirit of God, went to foreign lands that you know really didn't have a map for and any understanding of the cultures and challenges of those lands. We can think of Moses by the Spirit of God leading people out of Egypt, that they'd been there 400 years and on that journey through the wilderness to the promised land. We can think of uh, Jesus, of course, and ushering in the kingdom of God. Hudson Taylor, who in 1854, very proper Englishman, just, you know, based on the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life, left everything behind and went to China and pioneered a radical missionary work. And today there's still some people in the underground church in China that can trace their spiritual heritage to what that Englishman pioneered, you know, a couple hundred years ago or so. We can think of the great baseball player Jackie Robinson at a time when essentially, unfortunately, blacks were not allowed to play in Major League Baseball or even Major League Sports. But he pioneered something so powerfully, proved something so powerfully that within just a few years, uh, that dramatically changed and we see history today. We can think of Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager was the most successful fighter pilot during World War II. They say his secret was that he had what would be called 1520 vision. Not 2020, that he could see at 20 feet what most people could see at 20 feet, but he could see at 20 feet what most people could see at 15 feet. His eyesight was so great that they say that he could see the sunlight glinting off an enemy aircraft 50 miles on the horizon. So when danger came, challenges came, when the fight came, he was already on top of that. The question is, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear in the Holy Spirit what the Lord be saying to us? And as I said, John 15, 8, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. None of us, none of us, I don't care what your background is, I don't care how much of a victim you've been in the past, none of us is called in Jesus Christ to stay or remain a victim. We are called to go through the grace of God, the healing of God, the transformation of God, the renewal of our minds, and become overcomers. About ten of you are excited. I'm with the right church. I'm not saying we don't have empathy and care and reaching out to the lost, the hurting, the broken. We do. But the will of God that we be transformed by the love of Christ and renewing of our minds to begin to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. There's a message there that we'll preach someday. (laughs) I want to quickly talk about five keys for pioneer breakthrough living. The first one is developing the habit, the lifestyle, of listening to the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that healthy prayer is not just us lifting up by intercessory prayer our needs to the Father? That's great. That's important. God wants us to do that. He wants to meet our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But a healthy prayer life is like a healthy conversation. How many of you have a friend or a relative, and when I ask this question, please do not turn and look at the person next to you. How many of you have somebody in your life that you get in one word for every 88 words they have? 
They're, I, I saw that lady back there looking at the guy next to her. <laughs> you know, that's what we call a motor mouth. Their people skills are almost completely void, or social skills, I should say. And, you know, it's just, it's just, but sometimes I think that's how the Father feels about our prayer life. We get into the prayer closet, metaphorically speaking, and pop, 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 And the Father's trying to say, yeah, I know you know, have those needs. I knew them before you asked. I'd like to give you some wisdom. I'd like to give you some direction. I'd like to give you encouragement. As I mentioned back in the late 70s and early 80s, John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement had a big impact on I and a lot of my friends. We were uh, in leadership in a church in Escondido, North San Diego County, and we were coming up quite often to conferences that, uh, that John Wimber was doing, the gifts of the Spirit. And we'd all, I and my friends, we'd all got saved out of the Jesus movement. You know, we thought we were dressed up if we were wearing a long sleeve t-shirt, you know. Our church, we had about 300 people. You were an elder chronologically if you were over 30. You know? uh, the great thing about being 28 years old, you think you know everything. And <laughs> we, but we, we really got excited about learning to pray for the sick. In fact, we loved praying for the sick. In fact, we were so excited about praying for the sick. In our leaders' meetings, we'd almost pray that people in our church would get sick so we could pray for them on Sunday morning. And we were seeing like people get healed of bad knees, bad ears, bad backs, uh, bad sermons and things like that. Uh, but we weren't moving into another level of authority, namely the miraculous. A supernatural healing by God, it's a, a divine acceleration over what he would heal on its own over time. But God's miracle power, it involves God's recreative power. It's a different level of authority and power. And we were not seeing things like blind, withered eyes or deaf ears, you know, or withered limbs or a part of the body destroyed by cancer. We weren't seeing that. And one Sunday morning, a, a woman in our church came up to me and she said, my mother's in the hospital. Her colon has been destroyed by cancer and they're going to do an operation tonight. They're going to be prepping her late this afternoon for the operation could you come to the hospital early this afternoon and pray for her that God would do a miracle and heal her colon? And um, I prayed quickly in my heart. I felt like the Lord said yes. So I said, okay, in about two hours, I and a couple of friends will meet you. So I went home and I earnestly prayed for about an hour and a half. Oh God, we've seen you, you know, do some basic healings, but we have not seen this level of authority. And I thought, Lord, should, you know, should we rebuke it in the name of Jesus? Should we just quietly soak the person in prayer? Should we just quietly intercede? How do we rebuke the demon? What do we do, Lord? You know, the Holy Spirit's so kind, benevolent, encouraging. After an hour and a half, he didn't say anything at all. He just said, go. <laughs> so we get there, and I'm thinking, Lord, how do we do this? And as my two friends and I, as we began to lead off in prayer, we began to acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence and thank Him that the things that are impossible for us are never impossible for God. And all of a sudden, something we had not experienced that time, the heaviness of God's glory, the kabod weight of God's presence filled this hospital room. It was overwhelming to the point where my two friends and I, we literally got down our knees in the hospital room and began to start singing worship songs to the Lord. And uh, this heaviness of the Lord lasted for about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, and then we got up and 
Uh, we prayed very briefly for the woman, but I said to her, God has been here. And, you know, as Pastor Mike referred to when he got up here, the Lord's always with us, and he's always there wherever two or more gather, but sometimes his manifest presence comes and does the most amazing things. And I said to the woman, the Lord has been here. Whatever he's going to do, he's done. So we really didn't pray for much at all. But I got a call from the daughter the next day that it was just a radical thing that uh, they, they knew the colon was destroyed by cancer. They knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But when they opened her up, to their shock, the colon was in perfect condition. And they sewed her back up. The poor doctors probably developed a very quick prayer life, praying there'd be no lawsuits. But that was one of the most important lessons in ministry I've ever had because it's, it's not so much what we know, but who we know in the kingdom of God and the ability to listen to him. Uh, the second key for Pioneer Breakthrough Living I want to mention is learning, and I'll warn you in advance, this is going to rub some of you the wrong way, but if it rubs you the wrong way, you just need to repent. So. But it's learning to honor God's delegated authority. We are a society marked by lawlessness. And Jesus even said, because of the increase of lawlessness, many people are going to lose their love and fall away. Their heart's going to grow cold because that's, that's what lawlessness does. I want to qualify what I'm saying by giving you this example. My home church uh, like every other church, and particularly in California, in March of 2020, we stopped meeting together, and we started meeting, uh, doing online meetings, and like everybody else. But after three months, after our, uh, us as a leadership team and talking with our church online, we thoroughly dialogued about what the difference is between a righteous law and an unrighteous law. We thoroughly dialogued and explored the difference between what's a legitimate law and what's an illegitimate law. And we arrived at the conclusion that what Governor Newsom, God bless him, had said about churches cannot meet, they're not necessary, where the pot shops and the alcohol shops are necessary. Isn't it amazing? In the last three years, alcohol abuse has dramatically increased, drug abuse has dramatically increased, spousal abuse has dramatically increased, Child abuse has dramatically increased. Suicide rate among teenagers has dramatically increased. But church was deemed unnecessary. And so we started meeting again publicly, at least outdoors. We started that just three months afterwards, and we never turned back. And by October, we were meeting indoors. And it wasn't that we decided to be rebellious, but... You know, we honor authority, and we put a high value on that in our church, but we had to discern what was the difference between righteous laws, unrighteous, illegitimate, and legitimate. But, having said that, that we live in a society today that since the 60s has put a premium on just doing whatever you want to do. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only begotten son, he came walking out to the Jordan where John was baptizing people. John was preaching repentance of sins and baptizing people as a sign. Jesus came out in the water to John for his turn to be baptized. And John looked at him and John knew he was the Lamb of God, the spotless, unblemished, the perfect Son of God who had no need of repentance. And John said, you come to me for baptism? 
I need to be baptized by you, meaning in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' response is very, very important to understand. He said, nevertheless, let it be done so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. What was he saying? If he had no sin to repent of, why did he submit to this baptism for repentance of sins? It's because even though Jesus, as the only begotten Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, even though that's who he was and John was only a created man, Jesus recognized the Father's delegated authority was upon John. John, at that point in time, was still the Father's chief spokesman for the kingdom. And so Jesus honored the Father's authority upon John, submitted to that baptism. And as a result, when he emerged from the waters, three things happened. One, the Holy Spirit, as a dove, came upon him. Two, the heavens opened up for a great freedom for ministry. But thirdly, and most importantly, the Father spoke his approval over him. That's what Jesus... He never... Jesus never ministered to earn the Father's approval. He lived out of the Father's approval. But we live in a day and age where we don't want anybody telling us what's up. I didn't say that for you. I said it for the church meeting right down the road. There's a great story found in 2 Samuel 18. I'm not going to ask you to turn to it. I'm just going to quickly give you the highlights. And if you know about King David, his son Absalom brought a rebellion against David. And Joab, David's uh, main commander, he took David and the troops that were still loyal to David, and they had to flee Jerusalem. And they took David and put him in a safe place, a mountain stronghold, a kind of a secret place. And then Joab and his troops came down to a large battle plain, and they confronted Absalom and the troops that were with him. And Joab and the troops of David, they won the day. And as we read the story, as you can read it later in 2 Samuel 18, there was a young man named Ahimaaz who was a very gifted runner. And you know, in those days, obviously, no cell phone, modern communication, they would use runners. We talked about marathon runners that can run 26 miles. A runner in those days, an official messenger, could just run all day, you know, 30, 40 miles, whatever they needed to. And so Ahimaaz, a very gifted runner, he said, let me run and bring news to the king today. And Joab looked at him and said, you will run, but you won't run today. Hang on to that. Joab never said to him, you won't run, but he just said, you won't run today. It's not your time. And then he turned to another young man called the Cushite, who was the official runner, and he said, run, bring the message to the king. And so the Cushite took off. But it says in 2 Samuel 18.22, Then Ahimaaz, the second time, who was the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? And he said, Well, whatever happens, I'm going to run. Joab said, Run. And so Ahimaaz was such a gifted runner, he outran the runner, the official runner had a head start. And he arrived to David first. And David said, what's the news? And he said, you're restored to the kingship. Absalom and his army is defeated. But that was just half the news. 
that even though Absalom had brought a rebellion, David, being a good father, cared deeply for his son and said, what about my son Absalom? And Ahimaaz said, I don't know. And David said, stand over here. And then the official messenger came and he had the full news. And the point is that Ahimaaz ran before his time. He would not listen to authority and he had no reward. In 41 years of traveling all over the globe, I've met wonderful, so many wonderful Christian men and women, but some I meet are very gifted, have amazing potential, but some of them have been going nowhere for years. And when you talk to them a while, you find out, you know, the pastors, the leaders, this leader, that leader, they always have problems. We don't want anybody telling us what's up. And sometimes God uses leaders. It could be an employer. It could be a supervisor. It could be a pastor, an elder. They might say to you, yes, you have this gifting. You have this calling. You have this potential. But it's not your day to run. Because let me tell you something. God is not just concerned that we arrive at the finish lines of our life. He's more concerned about who you are when you arrive at the finish lines of your life. That is his number one goal. See, success in our culture means money, fame, notoriety, popularity, all that sort of thing. That's not success in the kingdom of God. Success is being transformed into living reflection of Jesus Christ. And so there's a time... There's a time, and the spirit of lawlessness is rampant. It's, it, the spirit of lawlessness is, I believe, one of the four major demonic strongholds in the Western world today, just uh, almost ruling over the nations to a degree. We are in a society today that has substituted short-term emotional gratification for paying the price of long-term goals. Most of you have heard of Leah Thomas, the man who identifies as a woman that competes in collegiate and university swimming. In the year and a half he's been doing this, there's many women who in their own right are champion swimmers, but they've lost first or second to third place because of Leah Thomas. And in an interview about a month ago, the interviewer was polite and respectful to Leah Thomas, but a little bit, you know, in their face and said, you know, you identify as a woman, okay, but you are competing against women in a man's body, which is naturally stronger. And, and women who have trained for some of them for 15 years or so, they're losing because you're competing in a man's body. What do you think about that? His answer was, I feel good about what I'm doing. I feel good about what I'm doing? Let me tell you, instant emotional gratification almost never turns out to be a healthy substitute for long-term goals. Ask any recovering alcoholic. We're in a society today, we want these quick fixes that make us feel good about ourselves. Let me tell you something, the comfort in your life and my life is not supposed to come because we feel we're successful but it's to come from the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. 
the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit, there's no substitute for that. There is no substitute for hearing in your heart of hearts, God the Father say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. There's no substitute for that. And so we're not called to be believers in Christ and just sneak into heaven. We're called to be disciples of Christ who become transformed into more than conquerors. Are you still alive? You got so serious looking all of a sudden. A third key is believing God despite the outward situation. You know, when Joshua was preparing the people to cross over the Jordan River and confront all these fierce enemies, he said to them, stay close to the ark, which represented the presence of God. Stay close. Keep your eyes on the Lord, for you're going to go away. You have not gone before. Proverbs 3.5 says, Lean not to your understanding, but trust the Lord with all of your heart. Trust the Lord. And so... It's not just times of COVID, but in life, because over many of you, it could be the business world, could be in ministry, could be relationships, could be in artistic skills, could be in career changes, could be going back to school. But many of you, the Lord's going to speak to you, lead you, give you open doors, give you nudges. And it's so important that you don't assess the validity of the situation by your outward understanding, but you trust the Lord with all your heart. Isn't it so great that the things that are impossible for you and I are never impossible for God and us as we walk with God? I was trying to say something fun, just to you know, kind of revive you a little bit. Fourth, we need to learn that the grace of God is always sufficient in our lives. Paul, the Apostle Paul, called the man who shook the world, the greatest revivalist of all, one of the greatest revivalists of all times, he went through so much physical persecution, beaten so many times, stoned, concussed, you know, whipped so many times. His body was a wreck. And he said in 2 Corinthians that he prayed several times, Lord, would you deliver me from this? But finally the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or realized in your weakness. And I want to challenge you, that the Lord is going to call you to pioneer some areas or pioneer some things or pioneer some ways of doing things that you've never done before that are going to make you feel very vulnerable. God could put you into a supervisory role at work or He could give you this challenge or that challenge and He's going to call you to step out of your comfort zone. You know, a friend of mine who's a brilliant preacher and theologian likes to say there's only one place in the universe you cannot find the presence of God, and that's in your own personal comfort zone. <laughs> but God is going to call many of you into pioneering new things. That means pioneering new things for you. And in that situation, you've got to trust the Lord with all of your heart and say, Lord, you know what you're doing. I'm not saying be rash. Wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. But God is calling you as a people, as a church, it's your DNA to pioneer, to do new things. And the last thing, last key for pioneer living is faithfulness. It's something that in our society today is not really valued. 
We see a lack of faithfulness in marriage. We see a lack of faithfulness in church attendance. We see a lack of faithfulness from employees to employers and vice versa. We're so quick to burn our bridges because the grass looks greener somewhere else. The grass is greener where you nourish it, where you sow into it. Matthew 25, the parable of the stewards and the talents. The wealthy master gave five measures of money to one, two measures to another, one to another, and he went off on a long journey. And he came back and called them into account. And the one that he'd given the five to, he said, Master, I gained five more. And he said, Well done, faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now here's more besides. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he came to the one that he had given the two talents to. And he said, what have you done with it? And he said, I've invested, I gained two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now here's more besides. Enter into the joy of your master. I cannot emphasize enough, God did not create you and I to survive. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And part of that abundance is growing in who we are in God. Growing in our, in our, our skill sets. Growing in our people skills. Growing in the ability to love one another. Growing in the ability to love life. I'm at a funny age right now. I'm uh, 66 this year, and I feel like I'm just about to come into my prime. But a lot of my friends, they're talking about retiring or retiring. I think retiring, I'm just starting to get good at this thing. So, so about 10 years ago or 8 years ago, uh, and I've been a passionate motorcyclist for 30 years. My, my friend Richard is here. And, that uh, I ride a lot with, but uh, I, I ended up buying a top-of-the-line Ducati sport bike because, uh, you know, about eight years ago, I was 56. I said, you know, if I'm ever going to be a really good, fast rider, I better get work on it now. For the last two years, I've been going to a racing school, and I tell you, I'm just starting to get good at it. But uh, the one thing I can tell you that I've learned is that as the prophet said, do not despise the day of small beginnings because sometimes when you start off and pioneer anything, it feels like, well, you know, I thought the red carpet of success was going to roll out to me and here I am taking these little baby steps. But it's a principle of life. It's a principle of God. It's a principle of the kingdom of God that if we're faithful in the little things, more shall be given. Are you still alive? Two traps that can rob you of pioneer breakthrough living are allowing yesterday's good to become the enemy of tomorrow's great. As human beings, we love to make monuments to the successes of yesterday. Matthew 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountaintop, and all of a sudden Jesus is transformed into his glory. And as well, Moses and Elijah, the two great heroes of the Hebrew people, are standing there talking to Jesus. What an epic day. Peter pipes up and says, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> what an astute statement. <laughs> I've been in meetings where we've seen everything short of the dead race. They say, yeah, it was pretty good. But uh, Peter says, Lord, 
Let us build three tabernacles to commemorate the event. Let's, let, let us make three memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and for Elijah. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, the cloud came down, personifying the Father, and he spoke out of that. And essentially, the Father rebuked Peter, and he said, this is my son. Listen to him. In essence, he was saying, Peter, I don't want you to make a monument to the breakthrough of even five minutes ago. Stay current with the current. How many of you have been in a church in the past that maybe 20 years before you were there, 30 years before, it was a renowned revival church or radical evangelism, radical social programs, but they made a monument to the past and stayed rooted and focused on the way, what they had been doing, the way they had done it, and you go into it now, it feels like a spiritual museum. It's because they've lost that essence that we're created in God to go from strength to strength from breakthrough to breakthrough, and from glory to glory. And I can tell you, you know, several months ago when Bruce called me up and said, Mark, we'd like to have you back, I was, I was excited because the, the, the worship of this church, your love for the Prince of God, but also there's something in your DNA that is vibrant and alive, and it is this pioneering spirit. So forget about COVID. It's the false crown. It's not the crown of Jesus the King. The one who came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So we don't make monuments even to our successes, even to the blessings of God at five minutes ago. We appreciate them and we refer to them. We're encouraged by what God has done in the past. But we don't camp out there. The people in that other church do. The second trap is the tra- that can rob you of kingdom breakthrough living is comparing yourself to other people. You know, there's no two snowflakes that are alike, and I'm, I'm not talking about people. <laughs> there's no two leaves that are alike. <laughs> this is the humorous side over here. I'm going to focus over here. <laughs> there's no two leaves that are alike. There's um, nobody else on the face of the earth has your exact eyes, has your exact vocal cords, has your exact fingerprints. When you were in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully, as David said, did God create you, and he created you to be a unique reflection. But our problem is we get entrapped when we look at other people who are doing what we're doing or doing what we're called to do, and we think, well, if only I had her personality or if only I had his upbringing, if only I had their resources. But you see, there's another lesson we can draw from the stewards and the talents, that when the master said to the one who'd given him five, that he gained five more, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little bit. Here's more besides entering the joy of your master. He said the exact same thing to the one he'd given the two talents to. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful in a few things. Here's more besides. And here's the point I want to make to you. One way or another, we're all going to come up short in comparing ourselves to other people. That's just life. But if you are faithful to God with the talents, abilities, and opportunity he gives you, guess what? Your reward is going to be the same. 
Mark, that was a brilliant point you just made. Do not be put off or discouraged by those blank looks. Don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself because when you begin in your own soul to belittle yourself thinking, well, I don't measure up to him or her, you know what? Unintentionally, you're also belittling the artistry of God the Father in creating you. He created you to be a wonderful, unique role, and it really is true. God has created you to do things that only you can do. Okay, well, on that exciting note, we'll move along. So let me say this in conclusion, because as sure as you're sitting there and I'm standing here, there's some of us sitting right now, they're saying, Gosh, I feel overwhelmed with life as it is right now. I don't know about pioneering, taking on new challenges. Well, if not for you, what about others? You see, it says in Revelation that we overcome by the blood of, our lamb, the, blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. When you have a breakthrough and you make that known, or you stand out as a godly example, it inspires people. It releases faith of the Holy Spirit. In the 1910s, the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1940s, the best track coaches in the world worked with the best runners in the world to try to break the four-minute mile. None of them were successful. There were even a growing number of coaches that believe maybe it's physically impossible for the body, the way it's made, to break the resistance and go a four-minute mile. But then in 1954, outside Oxford, England, Roger Bannister did it. He ran 3 minutes, 59 point something seconds. So that's exciting. After decades, half a century of working towards this, somebody did it. But that's not what really is exciting. What's really exciting is his record only lasted for 47 days. Within six months of him breaking it, three other people broke his record. Why? Because when you pioneer, you make that place inhabitable for others. So, you're coasting along, you're doing good, you know the blessings of God, and you feel quite comfortable when the Holy Spirit begins to provoke you, speak to you, irk you, give you a divine, unholy satisfaction with where you're at. You're saying, oh, I don't know if I'm up to this. Let me tell you, you're never going to have the full fulfillment God has for you in life unless you come into that place of greater fruitfulness. I'm not saying God won't love you, care for you, provide you, bless you. He will. But again, his call upon each of us is to go from strength to strength, from breakthrough to breakthrough, and from glory to glory. And you know what? When you pioneer something, those around you, your family, your children, they said, if Dad can do it, I can do it too. You impart something to others. You pave a way. Are you still alive? Good. You look so serious. My gosh. <laughs> so, I want to uh, I'm going to pray a, a few prayers in a moment, but I want to close. I felt like during worship, the uh, Lord told me to read something out of you, uh, over you, out of Isaiah 42. 
If you're not familiar with Isaiah 42, it's really a chapter about revival. But revival can be on several fronts. Revival can be personally, it can be a health revival, it can be a financial revival, it can be a kingdom revival. But I felt like the Lord, and I don't always sense this, but the Lord told me to make a prophetic proclamation over this church, this vineyard church of Laguna Niguel and over the leadership team. And so if you would all stand with me, and if you have your Bibles, or do you put the verses overhead? Do you do that sort of thing? Okay. Uh, I'm going to read starting in Isaiah 42, verse 6, and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 66. No. We're going to go to uh, verse, uh, uh, oh, let's see here, where do we want to go? We're going to go to the end of verse 10. So, do we have it there? No, not, oh, there he is. So, I want to ask you just to read this out loud as a proclamation over yourself, your friends, your family, the church. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy, let them shout from the top of the mountains. And give glory to the Lord. I proclaim over you, particularly verse 9 and 10, and um, Michael, over you, your leadership team, over your worship team, over the different ministries, but also those of you in the business world, those of you in school, those of you that pursue different talent companies, I proclaim over you, behold, the former things have come to pass. The Lord will be declaring new things to you before they spring forth. He will speak to you. The Lord is challenging you at this season. And I want to say this to the worship leaders, that there's coming a fresh stirring for songwriting among you all. There's going to come, a, 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 I believe, a bunch of fresh songs from, from the throne of God to your hearts that you're going to be able to translate. And so verse 10 says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. So, <clears throat> obviously, I recognize, like everybody else, that uh, at different times in everyday life, there's always people around us that have recently gone through tragedies, gone through serious loss, that are just overcoming the last battle. And as well, there's many of us here that have gone through devastation because of COVID and maybe financial insecurity. Maybe you've lost jobs and restructuring all of that. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I don't make light of that. I, that that's a serious thing. But 
One of the things I know is the Holy Spirit can impart the gift of faith. And before I, I turn things back over, and by the way, uh, tomorrow night I have the privilege of being with you. We're really going to press in on training and uh, encouraging one another how to move in miracles and uh, that God wants the whole church moving in the miraculous to a greater degree. It's part of the tools of seeking and extending the kingdom of God. But I, I believe that right now for some of you that maybe a long time, maybe the last few years, you know, you've, you've just felt overwhelmed by that. The Lord wants to strengthen you this day. And so without wanting to embarrass anybody uh, or condemn anybody, if you feel like in your heart of hearts you've just really been under it, would you just lift a hand to the Lord right now? Go ahead, yeah. If you see, some, if you're not raising a hand, and you see someone near you raise a hand, would you put a hand of blessing on the shoulder of that person? Father, I ask in Jesus' name for an impartation of the gift of faith, Lord God, that Lord. I just break the weight off of people of condemnation saying, I've got to do it, I've got to prove it. And I just proclaim over you the words of Isaiah 12, verse 2. The Lord Jesus, He is your strength and He is your song. I proclaim over you those words of Isaiah. The Lord is your strength the Lord is your song. As the king prophetically said, the battle belongs to the Lord. I speak an impartation to you in the Holy Spirit right now of the gift of faith. I'm not talking about emotion or a vibe, but I'm talking about deep within your heart of hearts. As you walk out of this building today, you could know that you know that you know not only is God Almighty for you, but he's with you, and he will be your strength and your song. I bless you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I bless you to receive an impartation of the gift of faith right now. In Jesus' name.